A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. Hey there, and welcome to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast featuring conversations with ordinary people living revolutionary lives. My name is Kevin Garcia, and welcome to the new year, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. Yes, I'm a week behind, but guess what? Nobody's working the first week of the year anyway, so be real with yourself. (laughs) Just kidding. Well, I'm not kidding. I've I've kind of like intentionally gave myself a week to just really, you know, have Christmas and New Year's and like chill a little bit. So I'm back on my grind. We here, we're doing it. We're excited. Hope your holidays were all equally lovely and wonderful. Um, Just one announcement coming up in literally like uh, two weeks, I think it is, two or three weeks, is the Gay Christian Network National Conference. And who's excited about that? I am January 18th through 21th in Denver, Colorado, and you can still get tickets, I think, don't quote me on that. It might be like, today might be the last day, actually, as I'm recording this, which is Friday. So if you can't get tickets, um, call somebody and maybe they can work it out for you. But if not, show up anyways. Let's hang out in Denver. Um, it's going to be a fun time. I'm doing a workshop called Bridges Over Battle Lines, a workshop on how to move the conversation about sexuality and faith beyond just debate. I'm really excited about that. And I hope you'll join me. That's going to be on the Saturday session, three o'clock during session C. All the information can be found at gcnconf.com. That's gcnconf.com. I'm also leading worship while I'm there, so if you like good uh, worship music that's not problematic, we're excited to bring that to you this year again. Okay, that's all the announcements I really have for this week, so I'm going to go ahead and move on to my guest for today, which is, oh my gosh, I just have such a girl crush on her. And she knows this, so like it's not like weird that I'm talking about it when she's going to listen to it later. So for the first episode of 2018, I thought I'd start off with somebody who I've admired for a really long time. I finally got to meet her at the Reformation Project this past October. It's the Reverend Dr. Nichelle Guidry. Reverend Dr. Nichelle R. Guidry is the spiritual daughter of New Creation Christian Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas, where Bishop David Michael Copeland and the Reverend Dr. Claudette Anderson Copeland are her pastors and where she was ordained to ministry in 2010. She's a graduate of Clark Atlanta University and Yale Divinity School, where she was the 2010 recipient of the Walcott Prize for Clear and Effective Public and Pub public and pulpit speaking. That is a mouthful. <laughs> She's also the graduate of Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary, where she completed her doctorate of philosophy in the area of liturgical studies with a concentration in homiletics. Reverend Dr. Nichelle is also the creator of She Preaches, a virtual community and professional development organization that aspires to uplift African-American millennial women in ministry through theological reflection, fellowship, and liturgical curation. And we're going to get into that while we're talking. Some of her other credentials, she's listed as one of the 12 new faces of black leadership by Time Magazine. She's recognized for, quote, quickly becoming one of her generation's most powerful female faith leaders on Ebony Magazine's 2015 Power 100 list. And uh, one of the 10 women of faith leading the charge ahead by Sojourners. She's also had her work featured in the New York Times. She was a contributor to the book, What Would Jesus Ask? from Time Books in 2015. And she's also the author of Curating a World, Sermonic Words from a Young Woman Who Preaches. Let me tell you what, we get into it in this conversation. Everything from talking about, you know, trying to tear down the patriarchy to... Uh, asking about her time in seminary as a woman of color in a predominantly white institution. We go over so much. And overall, like, I think my favorite part is just the love that she has 
for people and for and for Jesus. It just, uh, I get so pumped about that. Anyways, I'm going to stop talking and let her do the talking because she is better at it than I am. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming to your podcast earbuds, <laughs> the Reverend Dr. Nichelle R. Gidry. So my name is Nichelle Gidry. I am a preacher. I am a pastor. I am um, the creator of She Preaches, which is um, a virtual community and a professional development organization for Black millennial women in ministry. Um, I'm, you know, I'm one of these people that believes in in justice, and I try to do my ministry right there um, at the intersection of of Jesus and justice. And so I'm um, I'm a prophetic preacher and mm-hmm. and a doer of justice. Mm. That's so succinct and beautiful. And if I were to um, sum you up, I guess that's how I would, I would try to do it too. Um, so I, um, I first encountered, uh, your work, um, uh, kind of through people who have heard you preach at other settings and it was like, oh, you got to get on Nichelle stuff. She's, she's such a badass and powerful. And one person like really described you as just like, uh, mm-hmm. she said, um, it's like she carries holiness with her, mm-hmm. like a mantle on her shoulders of just like what it is to be a prophetic voice in the world. So to you, when you say that you're a prophetic preacher, what exactly does that mean for you? I think of two traditions that kind of inform my understanding of, of what it means to be prophetic. I think first of the the biblical prophets, um, you know, those, those figures in the word, um, that were pretty controversial, um, and, you know, not widely accepted, not the most popular people, but the ones that, you know, God was very clear, like, go to the people and say this, you mm-hmm. know, um, you know, and for whatever the content of the message was, like, you see the prophets kind of sacrificing so much just to be messengers, whether right. it was like, God is going to restore us or we're going into exile, you know, there was a faithfulness there um, that, you know, you know, cost them so much comfort, cost them families, you know, it made them, you know, kind of living examples of, you know, uh, the kind of disgrace, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> of, of being a prophet, you know, um, you know, so I'm also really cautious, you know, like prophetic is kind of one of these like buzzwords, you know, and kind of leftist Christian circles. And I, yeah. mm, I, I get it. I understand like, you know, I think when we say it, you know, in that, in these circles, we mean like, you know, people who proclaim justice, people who talk about justice, but I think that's only a part of it. Right. Hmm. Like there's, there's this, this profound sense of like, um, sustained inconvenience, you know, um, discomfort and marginalization because who really wants to hear from God, right? Mm. (laughs) Um, Especially when God's not talking about your, you know, know, your blessing is coming and, you know, you're, you're going to be healed and you're going to be rich and you're going to have a big house, you know, Um, you know, that's, you know, not, 
those aren't popular messages. And so, but the other tradition that informs my understanding is like my, I'm, I am firmly and deeply rooted in the black church preaching tradition. Mm. Um, and, you know, like most, like all preaching traditions, you know, there are multiple strains and strands of what it means to be or to do black preaching. But I think about, you know, the preaching that has really informed my understanding of the world and really under and really informed like how my ministry. And I, so I think of Annette Turner, I think of Sojourner, yeah. I think of Fannie Lou Hamer. I, yeah. I think of these people who didn't stand in traditional pulpits because traditional pulpits couldn't really hold them. Mm. Um, I think of, I think of Jeremiah, right? I think of Dr. Gina Stewart and Dr. Cynthia Hale. I think of my my mother in the ministry, Dr. Copeland. These are women who I've heard speak on, you know, the the painful kind of realities of being black women and they kind of embody the the um embody womanism, you know, in the pulpit mm-hmm. in, in really powerful ways that have informed me. And I think about you know, these particular preachers are people who I know, you know, um, are very public about where they stand on things, not just on where they stand on, like the gospel being the redeeming um, word of God in Jesus Christ, um, but very, very clear publicly about where they stand on issues of liberation mm-hmm. and, and, and matters of justice. You know, I think. I can think of a lot of preachers that I know who would happily, you know, stand in their pulpit and maybe like have the rhetoric of justice down. But when it comes to like living an ethic of justice and kindness and, and humility, you know, Micah six, eight, there's, there's no receipt, you know? Mm -mm. And so, you know, I'm looking for like receipts, you know, when I think of preachers, I think of people who, who walk the walk and talk the talk, you know? And I, you know, so I, again, I I think of Michael Eric Dyson. I think of Freddie Haynes. I think of Yvette Flunder. I think of Ebony Marshall Terman. You know, these are people who are lights in my life, Mm -hmm. you know, because they've got that witness. Mm -hmm. Being in the, being in the black, uh, church preaching tradition i know that um because you have your your uh your master's and your doctorate some for some very prestigious institutions is that right um yeah i did i did my master's at yale divinity school my mdiv and then i did my phd at garrett evangelical theological seminary that's in chicago yeah it's in yeah in evanston okay um was it um especially at yale being like a a pwi like Mm -hmm. was that uh especially like in preaching courses, like I've heard some people who have come out of uh, places like Yale and Harvard and Duke who um, felt stifled in many ways because there was a specific (laughs) preaching style that was taught. Oh yeah. And being a black woman who's in a black preaching tradition, like what was Mm -hmm. that like for you? I, so I want to contextualize my answer by saying like my undergraduate degree was completed at Clark Atlanta University. Mm. Which it's in the Atlanta University Center, which is like the mecca of Black education in this country. Mm. Um, you know, the consortium consists of Morehouse College, Spelman College, Clark Atlanta University, and the Interdenominational Theological Center, and the Morehouse School of Medicine. 
and Morris Brown College. So all of these are historically black institutions, like within a five mile radius of each other. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, 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 and I affirmed my call to ministry in that setting, you know, mm-hmm. you know, in a setting where the affirmation of my blackness and the embrace of my blackness and the celebration of my blackness was an everyday thing. Mm. So, um, I went directly into Yale Div out of CAU and the culture shock was real. In fact, I was talking to my sister about it this week that I, I suffered with a profound case of imposter syndrome for like the whole first year at YDS, because that is white supremacy, um, in the flesh. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) You know, and I, and you know, so when I reflect on that experience, I, I, I reflect on the very painful kind of, you know, daily inundation in white supremacy and white privilege and whiteness, you know, Mm -hmm. as a, as a legitimate construct for like producing knowledge, you Mm -hmm. know, and, you know, so that, that, that constant experience of having to like translate the scholarship for myself and so, you know, having to translate it into something that would be beneficial for my community, for my people, you know, um, and that was an experience that had me constantly angry. I mm. mean, angry like I had never been, you know, so between the experiences of being like profiled, between the experience of having my ass slapped by a white male colleague who thought that it was going to be funny to walk up to me and slap my ass, to bearing witness to a watermelon eating contest in community dinner one night to, I mean, I could go on and on with these experiences where I felt like I had this like constant sustained sense of anger and displacement. But the the grace and I get and, and that was like that was my radicalizing experience. Hmm. You know, like I I don't know, I can't speak for all of the, you know, Yale black seminarians through time, but for Nichelle R. Gidry, like that was the experience that that ignited my prophetic fire. Hmm. You know, that was the time where I was like, wow, like I see, I feel the damage that is done on people who look like me because it's happening to me. Right. And so that's when my, my stance on issues having to do with race and class and gender, um, you know, was solidified because I was in the fires of it, you know? So, you know, what do you say? You know, um, you know, I hated that, but at the same time, I don't think that I would be who I am without it. Mm-hmm. In terms of preaching, um, I would say that I, I wholeheartedly agree with that reflection that there is a particular type of preaching that was taught, that was reified. But I think that that was because that that's a style of preaching of the homiletics professors who were there. Right. That's not mm-hmm. a value judgment. Um, you know, I have I was my first preaching professor was Dr. Leonora Tubbs Tisdale who was this amazing, beautiful, spirited white woman who, you know, taught me 
the mechanics of preaching, you know, how to exegete a text for sermonic delivery. Hmm. And, you know, my third year in, she was the one that called me to her office and was like, you should really do a PhD in homiletics. Like you've got what it takes to do it. And, you know, here I am, you know, X years later with a PhD in homiletics. Hmm. Um, And they offered this one class in black preaching. And I, I don't, have a great memory of that class. Um, they had a guest professor that came and taught it. Um, but I will say that I, I, I did have my takeaways from that class. Um, I felt pretty marginalized in that room as a woman, but I definitely, I was able to take the meat and spit out the bones. And as I yeah. reflect, that was, that was a microcosm of black church period, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. so I'm thankful, you know, that I had that opportunity to just kind of get it, you know, um, cause it's been true. Um, but yeah, I, I think though, as a preacher, my, oh, outside of Yale Divinity School and outside of Garrett, even like I have honed my, my voice as a preacher, just by being a student of preachers. You know, I listen to preaching in my free time. I watch preachers in my free time. I'm, That's I, dope. I, I study, you know, and for six years, I was on staff at Trinity UCC here in Chicago, where Otis Moss III is a senior pastor. So three times a Sunday, I got to hear one of the premier preachers in this country. And hmm. I was taking copious notes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you I'll know, bet. learning from my brother, my big brother, you know, and the people who came through that pulpit. And, you know, that was that was training ground for me. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's there's like a thousand things I want to like pick out of that. <laughs> um, we could go any direction. I know that's what I love about talking with dope people is because their stories are like so multifaceted and beautiful. Um, thank you also from 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 someone who is starting seminary uh, this coming summer. Um, thank you for being someone who like gives a lot of us like. Um, the the privilege of going second in many ways because i think there's a lot of us out here who have felt disqualified from from ministry um Mm. specifically from preaching for a number of reasons whether it's um our womanness or our um our queerness or Mm. for some of us uh for some folks being um visible pocs um who like because like i've lived in evangelical world for a long time so bless you (laughs) Thank you. I received that. Um, but it's um, it's where I found myself and it's um, I'm not sure where I'll end up like moving forward sure. through seminary. Sure. But seeing someone like you who is a radical black womanist um, and unapologetic about who she is and and about being a Christian, too, mm. I think that it kind of it, it gives me courage to know mm-hmm. that like oh she did it that means i can do this too for sure um, and i know that you do that for so many people so yeah. i guess that's uh what we could oh, I'm... <laughs> I'm serious though because just like a lot of times like i look around like the churches that or the church that i've been a part of for the past three years and like i have not seen one person in the pulpit who looks like me mm-hmm. um or talks like me or like the closest we ever got was um, the director of um, the Center for Civil and Human Rights here in Atlanta, which houses 
the story of the first civil rights movement um, with uh, Dr. King and uh, how it continued on. It's brilliant. And he came and taught. Um, he's actually um, an immigrant from Kenya. Um, and basically he said, um, uh, when you, he said, when you discriminate against women, against homeless people, against the poor, against the other, you discriminate against the image of God. Mm. And that was the closest thing that they ever got to like naming my people, uh, uh, queer folks. Wow. Um, but since we're kind of like on that topic of you kind of being a trailblazer in some ways, um, you know, also being, you know, a, a path that has been, you know, laid by so many um, women before you. Um, t- let's talk about She Preaches for a while. Um, how did that start? What was the genesis behind that? And uh, what what are some of the fruit that you've seen from that? Yeah. Um, so it started in 2012 just as a blog. Um, at that time, I had been on staff at um, at Trinity for about a year or so, maybe a little over a year, um, and had, you know, kind of like getting my, just getting my feet wet in in ministry. And in so many settings, I found that I was the youngest woman in the room. Um, and sometimes the youngest person period mm-hmm. in the room and that, you know, kind of yielded, you know, a very, very interesting kind of experience uh, that I've spent years kind of thinking about. Um, But I remember at the time I wanted to do something just because I felt kind of lonely in that space of being a young woman in ministry who was just trying to figure it out. You know, I didn't have a traditional mentor um, in my, in in my life. I, I, I wouldn't say that I've ever had that. Isn't that always the way? Like yeah. I, that statement, I relate to that so hard, not having like someone right there to show you. To show me. Yeah. yeah. Cause like, it, it's like, it's like so many of us are doing this for the first time. It feels like. Yeah. Doing it for the first time. And I think, you know, people who have been doing it, you know, are, are, you know, tired or they're busy, you know, and it's, it's understandable. I, I get it, you know, um, but I just, you know, I, I wanted to do something to create a sense of community. Um, you know, and and so I started this blog and I launched it and I invited just some of my closest friends to, you know, do, to just be like contributors for when it launched. Then, you know, I saw like over the first few months, like it was really like doing really well, you know, like people were really flocking to it, you know, it was building community. And so I wanted to. Um, I started to see this as an opportunity to build out platforms and to build out spaces for my sisters in ministry. Yeah. Why not, you know, build this out so that we can have voice and our perspectives can be heard, you know, why not make this into an opportunity, you know, that I could share and spread around. And so we, I started a writing team. It was like seven women from all over the country. Wow. Um, they wrote about sex and they wrote about mental health and relationships and family. And one of our, one of my best friends actually just wrote devotionals, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it was just like this, this space where I just wanted, you know, my vision was community and, um, and voice, 
you know, like we're going to like demythologize, demystify this thing called ministry from our perspective, you know, and it was so powerful and so great. So that was 2012, 2014. Um, I had this idea um, to start, you know, actually doing She Preaches programming, you know, moving away from like that virtual space. And I started um, our first event became kind of like our signature thing. And that was like our She Preaches Good Friday, where we took the traditional kind of model of the seven last words um, that happened in a lot of black churches. Um, But we remixed it. Right. So Mm. it was instead of seven last words preached by seven, you know, kind of established older usually male preachers, this was going to be seven sermons, seven black women, all under 40 Mm. preaching on texts where Jesus was interfacing with women, you know? So rather than focusing on the same seven scriptures, we, I wanted to really like give God's people profound exposure to slept on texts where we're like, the man that we serve and that we follow by the name of Jesus, like was not in agreement with this patriarchal bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, and in scenarios where it seemed like he was, you know, and like, you know, Jesus was like, Oh, okay. I, I might've gotten that wrong. You know? Is it? Um, and that I think is something so interesting too, is yeah. that so many people, just that statement, like Jesus realizing he might've been wrong. That is a revolutionary statement for so people to realize that, oh, yeah, Jesus, yes, fully God and fully human. Human, yeah. So, exactly. And being wrong does not mean that you're sinful either. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, you know, um, I always think back to that Matthew 15 story of the woman who came begging for healing for her daughter. You know, that, mm-hmm. that story for me, is like watershed, but we can get back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we put this service on in 2014 and I mean, by all like, you know, traditional metrics, right. It was a wild success. Like it was standing room only, you know, people, you know, came in and, and became Christians at the end of the service. Ooh. You know, people stuck around for, for prayer and laying out of hands. Mm. Um, but, you know, taking a deeper look at it, you know, I and, and, and kind of doing my own kind of ethnographical research afterwards, I realized like the power in that was that, you know, people had never heard sermons on sexual assault before people ever heard sermons on you know menstruation people had never heard divorce mentioned gracefully Mm -hmm. in body of a sermon you know like you know like these very you know part and parcel kind of experiences of being black women you know were were brought to the fore through the lens of the gospel and people had just never experienced that before. I wow. never experienced before. In my head I was like, I wonder if this will work. Mm-hmm. And so to see how well it worked, I mean that was extremely powerful, you know. Yeah. So I that can... went on for like the next few years and then I think even this year it didn't happen in Chicago because I was writing my dissertation, but it happened in philadelphia and it happened in winston-salem we Mm -hmm. you know i created a toolkit a she preaches toolkit and people picked it up and ran with it in their cities and so i'm excited to see where it'll spread out to 
um, next year. But currently, She Preaches is in the throes of a digital redesign. So December, I'm aiming for 12, 12, 17. The new site will be Ooh, relaunched. 12, 12, 17. I'm aiming for that. The new site will be relaunched. I'm excited. I have some really amazing content that is being produced by some incredible women. Oh, I'm um, stoked. And it's going to be beautiful. The redesign, I've seen, you know, bits and pieces of it. And I'm like, yay. And I think it's going to be great just because, you know, it, she preaches turned five this year. So wow. a great time for the refresh. I would love to stay in conversation with you because I, I, you know, and, and some other friends, because I want, I want she preaches to be useful to, you know, anyone who finds themselves needing like some kind of empowerment and encouragement. So mm-hmm. I want to think strategically about the space that can be made for the LGBTQ community on She Preaches. Hmm. Yeah. I'd absolutely love to be a part of that. Um, Cause I think there's like, there's not a whole lot out there um, as far as like, I mean like there's a whole bunch of like LGBTQ pastors out there who kind of like, we all we all kind of like know each other and we know that we exist, but like to have like a space like of resources for preachers and people who are like creating uh like liturgies or sermons or anything like that, that would be powerful. So yeah, I'd love to chat more about that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's really what it's about. Like, you know I think there's a certain aspect in which that I really want she preaches to speak to and that's like just to do this work mm-hmm. in these bodies. It requires like a very, very, it requires regular, well, one thing is rest, right? Yes. But also inspiration, you know, like, and you're doing, you know, this work that we're doing and you're constantly calling out demons and evils like mm. that really draining, you know, and yeah. you, you, you got to stay encouraged and inspired. And I, I really want She Preaches to be a source for inspiration. Mm. So you know i think that's dope i'm in whatever you need well thank you thank yeah. you um i wanted to um going off that like we've touched on it uh, a few times in this but um my favorite thing that you've ever said is uh fuck the patriarchy and you said it on a on a conference stage and i'm just <laughs> like I, like when you said that i was like what an amazing woman uh. Like, not only because, like, also because, like, I love, I love Reformation Project. I've been working yeah. with them for forever. And yeah. I loved it. Like, they didn't even, like, try to censor that. They never try to censor people or their realness or their story or what they have to bring to yeah. the table. I really appreciate them for that. Yeah. So, like, just, I, um, you, you've shared so many stories about that. Um, uh, how, how do you be as, unapologetically you as you are it was that because like i know you've talked about it a little bit um but like for aspiring preachers out there who are trying to stay authentically them and you know how, how how do you balance those things of like finding rest being authentically you calling out the demons mm. like what do you like what are some of your practices that you keep oh lord I know that's quite like a, a broad question, <laughs> but I like keeping it. Uh, I yeah. like um some of the, my practices of authenticity, or, or to keep me, or to keep me in my authentic kind of space. You mean? 
yeah what are some what are some practices you have to to keep your authenticity up so that you don't get burnt out or drained as you know a radical prophetic preacher in the world well i think the first word that comes to mind is pleasure right Hmm. like i think i i i regularly practice pleasure like things that bring me pleasure you know Mm -hmm. sleep (laughs) ayo what a concept shopping you know yeah i i I sometimes got to repent for my participation in this capitalist machine but i um i i enjoy a good craft cocktail with my meal yes god going out to i love going out to dinner i love treating myself and pampering myself you know like um to things when i can you know I'm I'm really grateful for the six years I've been able to live in this amazing and beautiful city of Chicago because I mean, for all the things that people hear about how bad Chicago is, like that keeps us all really busy and really stressed. But Chicago is beautiful. It's full of great restaurants. It's full of beautiful people doing amazing things, people who keep their lives in the midst mm-hmm. of the sanity. And I think you know, my friends and my village, my boyfriend, you know, these are people that I'm really intentional about keeping around as often as possible because they fill me up, you know, mm-hmm. my family. Um, I think it's really easy to get so inundated in the work, um, you know, and so isolated mm-hmm. in, in the anger and, and the stress and the frustration that comes out of it. Um you know, and I just think that ministry in churches tends to bring like a particular type of pain along Mm. with it because, you know, when you're hurt by people who go to church with you and you're hurt and your heart is broken and your spirit is broken by people who profess the same Lord and Savior that you profess, it hurts because you know, like we know better than this, you know? Um, the person we follow has called us up to a higher standard. Why are we doing this to each other? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we get so many, we get bogged down with these constructs and these, you know, you know, we participate in and prolong these evils. And it just is so contrary to what we, we say we believe. And so for me, at least that hurts me in a very unique way. You know, so therapy is a regular practice as well. Yes, amen. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Every time I close a podcast, I say, go see your therapist. I mean, it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. I just had therapy last night and I got my life, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I talk to my best friend in Los Angeles every day. We talk every day. <gasps> you know, that's I love a that. life, the life saving practice. Like, and she's not in ministry, you know. That's helpful. Practice. She does marketing, you know, for, you know, a Hollywood film company. Like she does the opposite in the spectrum, but like for 10 years or no, for 14 years, mm-hmm. been best friends and she holds my center and she's my <sighs> best friend in this universe. And I don't know what I would do or who I would be without her because she keeps me right here in this authentic space. Um, and just, I, yeah, like those are some of the things... I think one more thing, one small thing is like I have a practice of of keeping a candle lit whenever I'm awake. Hmm. Um, So I have I have this massive candle collection because there's always a candle lit, whether it's a a tall 
Catholic, you know, prayer intention candle with the Virgin of Guadalupe on it or some like super fruity scented candle. Mm. I always have a candle on to just remind me that the light of Christ is alive in my life Mm. and the light of his presence is all around me and I am his light in this world. And people in my life don't get, you know, like the super like significant, like spiritual significance of it. They just know Michelle loves candles and load me down with candles. But, you know, that's a, that's a practice that is, you know, a, a ritual for me yeah. that, that holds me. Uh, I'm like getting teary eyed on the side of the phone because like it is so hard to remember that, isn't it? It's so hard to remember that like in the midst of all these things, yes, there's injustice. Yes, racism, sexism, homophobia, anti-blackness, mm-hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera. And still in tandem with that, like that truth that God's light is still present in us and that we have, um, I think it is uh, my friend and your sister, the Reverend Jess Cast, who like constantly reminds me that the power of the resurrection lives in us. Mm-hmm. The same the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in us. And so mm-hmm. when we are trying to do something like bring down the patriarchy or trying to do something like, you know, uh, end anti-blackness uh, or end um, heterosexism, you know, it's it's possible because, you know, like Jesus, like came back from the dead. Like how hard how hard could it be to end the system? You know? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, yes, I love Jess. That's my sister. And she's so she's so right. And I think this is probably one of the things that has like, kind of solidified my bond with Jess is like, how much we love Jesus. You know, I did. You know, she's the resurrection girl. I'm like Jesus, the prophet girl, like, Mm -hmm. you know, Jesus, Jesus. And you just, it's just highly likely whenever we're together that we're going to end up praising and worshiping God with tears all over our face. Um, You know, Jesus is, is, is everything. Yes. Everything. And it's just such a scandal how the name of Jesus and the story and the legacy of Jesus have just been co-opted and watered down, you know, that, you know, and it's just, um, it's a shame (laughs) (laughs) to put it lightly, (laughs) to put it lightly. Exactly. I'm being kind. Yeah. (laughs) It's so interesting to, I like what I always like, like boggles my mind personally is like when I, meet others who aren't exposed to uh, different types of theology womanist or black liberation or like or even just like black preachers or um or any other way of looking at the gospel other than what they're taking in from sunday morning from their like pseudo hipster white cis pastor I'm just like I like they're like I remember like taking my boyfriend to to church a couple Sundays at my church and I felt so embarrassed Mm -hmm. and i was like oh when i started here i was in a much different place than i am now and i'm I'm looking at i'm like what are you what are you talking about yeah like none of like and that's it's so ooh. i'll say this i my because i don't want to like you know discredit anyone's ministry and i because i think anywhere where you know people are coming together there's extreme power and potential to do amazing things but my sister goes to this church in atlanta 
And I'm sure you've heard of it because it's a wildly popular church. It's called the Passion City Church. Oh, of course. Passion City. I know all about her. Yeah, yeah. She goes to Passion. And so whenever we're in Atlanta, she wants us to go to that church as a family. And, you know, I have to do a lot of, like, spiritual preparation just before I go in there because yeah, very white to me. Um, no, not to you, girl. <laughs> it just is. Yeah, that's right. And, and it's diverse. You see a lot of people who, you know, worship there that, you know, aren't white, but ideologically and theology, theo- theologically, it's it's a white place, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, some of the teaching, I think, has been, like, real off-center. But, like, I did hear the pastor preach a good sermon on, you know, Habakkuk, the, I think it was either the third or the fourth chapter where the, the prophets like God makes my feet like, like Heinz feet. And it was part of a series called still standing. And he talked about, you know, it's not God's intention that, you know, we go through life without suffering. You know, the suffering comes to produce something in us. And it's definitely not God's intention that anything that we would go through would knock us down to the point where we don't even recognize our lives. Like God's intention is that no matter what comes our way, we will still be standing, standing on the word, standing on our faith, um, believing that God is working things out for our good. And Mm -hmm. I, I was so blessed by that message. I was in tears by the end of it because I had just transitioned out of my job at the church. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, kind of nursing the, the, the broken heart that I had over that, Mm -hmm. No, and you know it was an unlikely experience for me to be sitting in this white church listening to this white man and have like gotten the word that I needed to get right you know and you know they have this like super you know theatrical kind of worship experience where you walk into this like auditorium and it's dark and it's like a rock concert when the worship experience starts but I have to admit like I love that music you know mm-hmm and ever since I became a follower of Christ, I, you know, I, when I was a teenager, I've gravitated to like contemporary Christian music um, just because it's very, it's very worshipful to me. You know, it, it, I think I love that music because it focuses on God more than it focuses on, you know, my struggles and my issues. Like I, right. I like I hear in a lot of gospel. So, um, but I think part of what it means to be a follower of Christ, no matter where you are on the spectrum of progressivism, is that you've got to be remain open to the unlikely places and the unlikely moments and the unlikely vessels that God will use to get to you. You better say that. You know, um, and, you know, when I think about myself, like 15 years ago, like I wouldn't have ever, ever thought that here I would be doing ministry alongside my LGBTQ brothers and sisters, doing ministry in like little itty bitties churches where people just want to make justice happen. Like my, my idea of ministry was in mega churches where, where Western theology was, you know, the standard white, white, Theology was the standard. Like that was, I, I'd never thought that I would be who I am mm-hmm. and that I'd be in the communities that I'm in. But because God kept meeting me 
in these unlikely places through yes. these likely people. I think here I am about to cry, you know, like mm-hmm. because God made my life into something more than I could have ever imagined it being. Yes. Here, you know? Yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. Because it's like, um, I want to tell you a story about my tattoo. Um, oh my gosh, please. Because oh my, you, know, you know I'm obsessed with body art. Me and Jess, <laughs> we are obsessed. Okay, please tell me. Yeah, because um, like, I think it's like that exact same thing. So um, uh, part of my story is like when I came back from being a missionary and I couldn't figure out how to be straight, I, uh, I attempted suicide and it didn't work. And I'm so thankful that I'm still here. Um, and years later, it's like, after I've come out, I've moved to Atlanta. I'm living in this crappy basement apartment with like my friend Casey Mm -hmm. and, you know, I scrape together some money and I get this tattoo and it's, um, it's of a skull, um, missing its jaw. And on the left side of it, there's like flowers like blooming from it. And it's like got three things that it means. It's like, it's kind of an homage to my fraternity, Sigma Phi Epsilon. Mm-hmm. Um, because they were the men who taught me that there's no wrong way to be a guy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, interestingly enough, like I had like a really, I had a, cause I also know that you're uh, a soror of uh, Delta, right? Delta, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Um, to all my sorors. Um, <laughs> so it's, um, so the skull is one of our symbols. And um, so it's like an homage to them. The second thing is like a constant reminder that life is just a series of like death and resurrections all the time that every time something is laid to rest um there's new life that's always going to be birthed from it mm-hmm. um wow. and uh uh the third thing like i remember i was i remember i was sitting in the chair after it was done and i was just looking at it and i remember saying to myself like wow and like, oh, it, it was uh, the third thing about my tattoo is like, I remember every time I look at it that like there was a time when I was, um, I just, I, I wanted nothing more than to die and to remind myself how desperate I am to live now that I, that I know how much God loves me. And I remember sitting in this chair after it was done and like my tattoo artist is a very serious guy. I don't think I've ever seen him smile, um, okay. but like, he's very good at what he does. He's very kind. Um, and I just start crying because I'm saying to myself, wow, I'm still here. Yes. I'm still here. And then at the in that exact moment I felt like the Holy Spirit whisper the same exact thing, like, I'm still here. Woo! Like yes, God. So as like you were saying all this thing of just like about our life. Um, if it was not for all the things that we have walked through, you know, we you know, like who would we be without these things that have like tried to kill us? Who would we be if we were not able to like look for God in the most unlikely places? And I think it's very amazing that we're just now entering the season of Advent where we're saying like, even in the darkest moment, the darkest time of the year, there's still a light that we're going to shine. And there's still a candle that we can light and point to and say, God, Emmanuel, God with us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, one day we're going to have to have a longer conversation about Ugh. our tattoo stories because... I have at this point, I think I'm up to 11 or 10. I One know. Come on. They all have a story. And, um, you know, I, I often say, like, if you were to look at the at my tattoos, you you would see my testimony. Oh, girl, same. Maybe we should, uh, we'll do a, 
we'll do another podcast where we just do tattoo stories and we'll include pictures yes! on, the, on the blog. I would love that. I would love that. Dope. Oh That was my conversation with the Reverend Dr. Nichelle Argidri. You can connect with her on social media at Nichelle G, which is N-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-G. That's Nichelle G. And you should definitely give her a follow because her tweets are fire. And on top of that, if you want to connect with her, her book, her speaking gigs, all of her online material, that can be found at RevNichelle.com. That's R-E-V-Nichelle.com. Special thank you to my supporters on Patreon. And if you don't know what Patreon is, do you even podcast? Or do you even listen to podcasts? Um, Patreon is an amazing way to help crowdfund the work that you love and listen to on a regular basis. So if you like this podcast, for example, you can support it on a monthly basis with a generous $1, $2, $5 donation per month. Honestly, if I don't have y'all support, I can't keep creating these things. And I really do want to keep creating these things. So if you wouldn't mind, if you are someone who listens to podcasts, if you're someone who buys your coffee during the week, if you are able to go out to eat more than once a week, then I think that you might have a couple bucks that you can throw my way to help support the creation of this podcast. Because the more support we have, the more things we can create. And then I don't have to work in a, in a restaurant no more. Can you imagine what that would be like to be able to just like do this full time? Uh, I can and I want that. That's my 2018 glow up goal. Come on. Hashtag glow up goals. Don't hashtag that. I feel like that'd be... um, um just Just don't do that. Anyways, make your New Year's resolution to be more generous. Head over to patreon.com slash thekevingarcia and learn more about becoming a sustaining partner. Last little bit, that's all for me. Um, Thank you to Reverend Nichelle. Thank you for being on the podcast. You are a joy. Thank you to all my Patreon supporters for supporting this work. And thank you to you, dear listener. Um, I'll be back uh, real soon with another episode with another revolutionary human. I'll see you at GCN. Tweet at me. Find me. Come to my workshop. Let's hang out. Let's grab some food. Let's grab a coffee. It's super busy, but I will try my best to make some time to hang out with uh, anybody who wants to say hey. So that is all from me. Go take a nap. Eat some food. Go see your therapist. Do some meditation. Just 10 minutes. Download the Headspace app and just like take a second for yourself. And honestly, this is not like a plug or like I'm getting paid for that. I honestly use the Headspace app myself. So if you want to, go check it out. Once again, my name is Kevin Garcia. This has been an episode of A Tiny Revolution, and I love you. Let's talk again soon, okay, honey? Bye.